Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers with Faster Skier. Devin and I are back with a recap of the men's 30K pursuit and the absolutely demolishing performance by Russian uh, Alexander Bolshunov. We break down the entirety of the race and talk a little bit about some back and forth that happened over a question that I asked in the press conference about Russia's history with doping. We will be back after the sprint races uh, in a couple of days, and thanks for listening. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Boulder Nordic Sport, the industry-leading resource for cross-country skiing equipment, waxing, stone grinding, and hand-selected skis. If you're looking to tour at a local park, finish your 15th Berkey in style, or aiming for the next Olympic team, Boulder Nordic Sport's passionate staff can help you get the perfect gear for your cross-country skiing experience. Visit boldernordic.com to shop one of the biggest selections of ski gear in the country and download a digital copy of the annual BNS magazine. Check out the Boulder Nordic YouTube channel for extensive waxing how-tos. Ski inventory is challenging this season, but Boulder Nordic Sport is receiving new gear every week, including the new floor-free race waxes from Holman Cole and Rody. Check out your options at boldernordic.com. Let's just get right into it. The, the 30K pursuit was today, right? which was a great performance, a great race in a lot of ways. The course, oh my God, I hate this course. It's the most boring thing I've ever seen, but, but a lot of, a lot of excitement. I don't know where we want to start. I'm kind of all over the place, but, but Bolshunov essentially, Bolshunov and Niskanen did just such a fantastic job in classic. Can we just start there? Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. I mean, so the race goes out of the start and here's what I noticed. Everyone's like looking at each other. It's going super slow, but it's 30 K right. And it's at altitude first race of the championship. Not so surprising, but of course, everyone's looking to Bolshinov or Niskanen, Niskanen to, to animate the race. And, and this is how it's been since I was racing. I mean, I had 15 years in the world cup and we would look to Lucas Bauer to animate the race, or we would look to uh, Andres Sodegren a lot of the time to animate the race. Like these guys that had huge capacity and not a great sprint. And, and, and they were the ones that really drilled it in these, in these mass starts. And, and after 5k, that's what happened. And I mean, Niskanen got a little gap and then Bolshinov closed it. And then we were watching the race. It was, I was privy to some of the most beautiful classic skiing I've ever seen in my life. I thought the way Niskanen and Bolshinov were diagonal striding today was something to be seen it was all the angles were perfect high hips all 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 the uh all the um the cliche words that you hear about beautiful classic skiing they were totally on point their weight was right under them they weren't missing any kicks they square shoulders i mean it was just a thing of beauty and they they went on to just put a nail in the race altogether they totally decimated the field in classic and then that was the ball game and then the excitement became came what happened later so I, I don't know I don't know so I know I'm just bumbling a little bit but let's start with the classic side of things not surprising that Bolshinov and Niskanen paired up together you have to recall in 2018 it was Bolshinov and Niskanen that that skied away from everybody well Niskanen did and Bolshinov closed again uh to go one two in the 50k in Pyeongchang a 50k classic but I was shocked at Spitzoff's like tactics because it looked it looked for a second there that like Spitzoff was going to drag Paul Goldberg and Holen back to Niskanen and Volshnov. What did you make of that? No, I had the same reaction and I, you know, we were kind of exchanging some messages and it, it, I mean, it totally was like, if this were a bike race, 
you know, Spitsov, the director sportif, was going to fire him as soon as he crossed the finish line. But I think, you know, in retrospect, it seems pretty clear that, you know, Spitsov probably knew what everyone else now knows, which was that, you know, Bolshunov was the fittest guy out there and was going to ski away from everyone. And if, if Spitsov just kind of like messed around and, and let his teammates build a huge gap and wasn't sort of skiing at his capacity, he, he was giving up a shot at a silver medal. And I think, you know, it was borne out that the um, Norwegians, you know, couldn't hang. It didn't really actually end up doing any damage, but I mean, I definitely, you know, had the same reaction that like, dude, what are you doing? Being the guy that's chasing, chasing down your teammate. And, you know, it seemed like there was absolutely no, I mean, obviously they won gold and silver, but you know, the two guys were like dishing out hugs at the finish line, obviously like no hard feelings there. Right. No, exactly. And I'm actually so happy for Bolshinov to come away with that gold medal with Spitzoff pulling a move like that. And it didn't work, like you said. And in the end, it was it turned out great. Like, all is well that ends well. Spitzoff comes into silver totally by himself. So it really didn't matter. But, man, that is playing with fire. And like you said, if this was pro cycling and you're dragging some of the biggest names in the sport back up to your leader, uh, man, yeah, you'll be fired on the spot at the finish line. And I, I, I just thought they're both in the same training group. That's the other thing. Like, so with Russia, sometimes I forgive team tactics that gone wrong because you got to remember there's four or five different professional training groups under the national team with different coaches. They don't interact with each other that well, that the wax technicians are little, like they're the little fiefdoms in there and the wax truck and stuff, but, but spits off and Bolshinov come from the same training group. So I was shocked to see that level of, <laughs> non-teamwork but in the end it didn't matter in the end it didn't matter so uh that was good for the russians and and i will say in the skate uh poor niskanen out of the out of the transition he clicks into his skate skis bolshinov continues to look textbook beautiful and skates away from a crushed niskanen like niskanen's legs look totally locked up right out of the he looked like he was dead it was like stick a fork in him kind of thing Oh yeah. He looked so wrecked. And it, I, I've looked like that. I was actually texting with a friend of mine back in Canada and I'm like, man, I haven't seen somebody look so stiff on the skate portion of a pursuit since myself <laughs> in uh, Vancouver. Cause that's what happened to me in Vancouver, the Vancouver Olympics. I just clicked into my skate skis. My legs cramped instantly. I tried to stay with the lead group and then just got spat out the back. And, um, uh, that was such an amazing race by the end and such a gutsy performance by Niskanen. And I'm so happy that he got paid for the work he did in classic because right from meter one in that 15 K skate, Niskanen looked like this was the hardest effort of his entire life. And his technique wasn't that great. He was stumbling. He almost fell at one point because his legs were so shattered. Did you see that with like seven K to go or so? Did you see that on the big screen? No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, he was peg legging out there. And he holds on for bronze. And this goes down as one of the wildest races I've ever seen. Boring, yes, because we knew right from, what, 15 meters out of the skate that Bolshinov's going to win the Olympic gold medal. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, I have never seen a field shattered like this. So in 2006, where... No question there was way more doped athletes in that field in 2006 than there is today. I believe that. I really do. And that's why I'm going to smack you around coming back to this in a little bit. But from first to 38th, the spread from first to 38th was way tighter than the spread from first to ninth today. And both of those races were at altitude. Pregelato, the Torino course, 
is was at 1650 meters in the stadium and up going up right up to the limit right under 1800 meters much like this course and, and yet this thing just got absolutely destroyed into a billion little pieces I, I i was really surprised that the field broke apart and i don't know what you thought but like i was seeing these guys ski like garbage like they everyone looks so tired not just coming across the finish line that that's expected at a championship but like out there in the skate it almost looked pedestrian but you looked at the faces you looked at the the angles that these best skiers in the world were not able to hit and everybody out there was struggling in a huge huge way ex- except Bolshinov. Bolshinov looked and Spitsov looked amazing in skate too Spitsov looked absolutely stunning and, and you know what Holland looked pretty damn solid all day as well I, I, you know, was watching and just sort of trying to think of like the metaphor of like, you know, Bolshinov is making these guys look like, is it, is it children? Is it, you know, high school skiers? Is it Bill Coakley? Like, what is it? But it's just like, you know, he was clearly on another, another planet. I, I, I kind of disagree with you. I mean, you know, when you were described the race as boring, like I thought it was like compelling as hell, you know, like you had the drama in the early part of the race with, with Bolshinov and, um, Niskin and breaking away and sort of like what was going to happen was that going to stick and then it kind of became clear that it was going to stick and then you know Bolshunov skied away with the race but then you still have kind of Niskanen holding on for what looked like dear life and then also I, I just thought you know Bolshunov um, skiing the way that he was skiing like it was gorgeous he looked incredible yeah. and it was it was just it was fun to watch and I think you know as much as it must have absolutely sucked to be anyone that wasn't on the podium today um I, you know it also was it just was interesting and compelling to watch you know literally the best skiers in the world kind of brought to their knees like johannes Kleibo, nine minutes out about oh, a second yeah. and a half behind uh gus schumacher who also you know nine minutes out had a raunch day yeah it's yeah. totally and so you know i mean I don't know. Like I actually, you know, there's storylines, you know, like Norway is kind of in a little bit of a crisis mode right now. Um, I will also, For sure. add, um, you know, talk, spent a lot of time in the mix zone after the race kind of was lucky to be able to do that. And, you know, heard both from Matt Whitcomb, the head U S coach, and, and then also Eric uh, Nossum. Am I saying that right? The, the Norwegian yeah, Nossum, Nossum. Yeah. Head men's coach and, and awesome described that race as uh, like literally the hardest, hardest race he's ever seen. So, you know, I think yeah. clearly everyone, you know, kind of humbled was, was the word of the day for sure. And I should be careful. I, when I said boring, I agree with you. I spoke too soon. I didn't mean it's boring. I mean, the last four years of men's racing has been incredibly boring because it's just a, a battle of the Titans, Russia versus Norway, every single race. Uh, this one was not boring. I agree with you. There's so many storylines. So I should, I should quantify that a little bit more. I just meant after the exchange, when Bolshinov was skiing away, it spits off looked great. And it just like the writing was on the wall. I meant like that the podium was kind of like in place. Niskanen looked like he was going to lose seven minutes in the skate and he put together the best performance, gutsiest performance since uh, the likes of Diggins. Frida Carlson, Perez Yohag, like that level of guts like that we've seen countless times on the women's side, but don't see as many times on the men. And, and so I didn't mean boring as in like, I lost interest watching. I just meant it blew up to all hell and you, you just weren't on the edge of your seat really for, for the win or second. So, so, but you're absolutely right. And as far as like gutsy, 
these were such gutsy performances by everybody. And to see the best in the world crack like they cracked is, is just not often. Although, although with Johannes Klebo, you have to understand like his biggest chance for individual gold is in two days. And that's in the individual skate sprint. Everything I've heard is that the skate sprint course is difficult from the men's side. And you see the snow conditions. It's like skiing through sand and it's cold. It's windy. Um, when he got dropped in the classic, I'm sorry for the fans that thought that he really just shattered and blew apart. Like, no, he backed it off into like zone two plus and used this as just like, okay, it's a, it's a half hard workout. Um, I need this in my body to, to get ready for the other races. He, you have to remember there's been a lot of stress with COVID. They traveled a lot later than they were planning to. There was a lot of noise and, and distraction for the men and women's team in Norway. And when it just wasn't working and he realized like he's dropped and the medals are gone. Johannes Klebo shut it right down. So well, and, and you gotta, is that a good you thing also, to do? You gotta do it. You gotta be you gotta be cynical like that if you're the best in the world. And and also, I mean, I, I kind of give him credit for even finishing the race, right? Like Rota Rota yeah. dropped out. Totally. And Rota dropped out. And in that team that is so competitive, it's uh, you know, dropping out of races like that could that could play into him not getting starts in the relay or not getting starts in the 50k. Who knows, right? So Claybo was a class act to drag his carcass to the finish line, but it was definitely I mean, not what he had hoped and dreamed it, about. No question. And, and, and I would just put a plug in like, I mean, the, the, I think there are a lot of folks out there that had days like that, you know, Gus Schumacher came through the mix zone and, and that totally. guy, you know, he, he just, you know, you could just see it in his face, like absolutely brutal day. And, and, you know, any number, I can imagine any other number of those guys would have loved to just, like rip off the bib, walk off the course, like get in a hot tub and, and, you know, completely forget about it. And, you know, Gus in particular, like, I just really feel like that guy deserves a lot of credit for kind of gutting it out and then kind of coming totally mix uh, zone and kind of taking all the questions. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of, I, I have a lot of respect, tons of respect for Gus Schumacher to drag his carcass across the finish line in the Olympic games for such a horrible race. Uh, and the other thing too, with that to quantify that, cause we are also texting a bit about this Poroma, my boy Poroma from Sweden, Sweden's only hope for the future in distance skiing now put together just such a beautiful performance to come sixth and Poroma and Gus are their contemporaries, you know, Gus wiped the floor with Poroma at world juniors and stuff. And you see, you can see the absolute, ceiling not ceiling but the potential of Gus Schumacher at these international races him and Porama are the same essentially if not Gus being a little better and Porama has a beautiful race best race of his entire career comes sixth skiing up skiing awesome and I understand that Gus is really disappointed and and uh shattered after that because that is the level like Gus Schumacher is a top 10 international skier already at his young age when things are working and things today sadly for the Americans slash Gus weren't working because Scott Patterson, I'm going to plug that hard. The guy has had such a rough lead up to these Olympics, busted wrist surgery, like skiing horrendously bad in period one, because of, because of that. Training having with to one ski pole. Yeah. Training with one pole racing world cups with like a brace where your wrist is completely stiff. Like it was a nightmare. The guys also had a number of really tough seasons internationally in skiing, not getting the results he wanted in Pyeongchang, top 12 performances, well, 13th, I think he was, and skiing so, so well, looking so good. And instead, you know, doesn't, isn't able to build on that momentum that he had in Pyeongchang. And everyone's like, what the hell's happening to Scott Patterson? 
And through all that adversity shows up here at the Olympics. One of the last guys to get named to the U S ski team for the Olympic team and puts down an 11th place in the pursuit. Wow. Like I am, I'm in awe. It was a great performance by Scott Patterson, who is showing that at the Olympic games, he comes to play. And I'm really, really excited to see what comes in these distance races to come for, for Scott. It's, it's, it was a, it was a wonderful performance by him. Someone, someone made a joke that, um, Scott, Scott is an Olympics specialist, which I, I think totally, yeah. you know, is plausible. Yeah. We were, I, I, we, you know, I talked with him after the race and you know, didn't, didn't totally get into it, but you know, he, we, the, the, the bike crash, you know, in the surgery, I mean, it's, it, that's a, it's kind of an untold story that, you know, we probably could do a little more to, to kind of draw out. I mean, he, I think surgery was like a, you know, it was a decision he had to make and, and, you know, was really, you know, just, he was kind of saying he had a few kind of dark days where the whole season seemed to be going up in smoke. So, I mean, it, it's a, it is a pretty awesome story to see him be able to, to kind of gut through that. So yeah, totally. It awesome, is, it awesome is an amazing story. Amazing story. Amazing day for Scott. And that's great. It was great to have one small bright spot. And that's not a small bright spot, by the way, 11th at the Olympics is an amazing performance in, in an individual race. And, um, North America had just a total dark day other than Scott. I mean, the Canadian men, I was so disappointed. I was so disappointed to see that none of them were able to come out with any sort of fire in the bodies. And I, I had high hopes. The women yesterday really impressed me. I was just deeply, deeply in awe of the performances of those women yesterday. I know people at home are like, Devin, what are you talking about? Like 20th, 23rd, 28th. Like these aren't like results to hang your hat on. It's like, in some ways, no, when you're used to Chandra Crawford winning the Olympics or Becky Scott winning the Olympics and stuff like that. But the reality is these girls have had it tough and they came in and they had their to date best performances of the season at the Olympic Games. And that's all you can ask for. And that three of those women did it on the same day is so fantastic to see. And on the men, I was really hoping that at least one of those guys could have their best performance on the day of the season on the day. And none of them did. And that was tough to see. And, and Remy Drolet was a huge talent for Canada, like fourth at world juniors a couple of years ago. He studies theoretical physics at Harvard. The guy is like, I mean, so impressive and works insanely hard, came to these Olympics, a little unsure of his form and to get lapped. These laps are 3.75 kilometers long. You should never get lapped even on your worst day. If you're a Canadian or an American at a championship. And I feel so bad for Remy. That's going to be a, that's going to be a tough hurdle to, to climb over for the races to come, but he's going to have to do it. It's kind of like the tour to ski these Olympics It's 16 days long. There's lots of events. You've got to try and put this behind you and prepare for the rest. And I know Tony, like Antoine Sierre, uh, he had high hopes. The guy was 12th in Kusmo in a 15 K classic. So he again had a, just a completely forgettable performance. And he has to put that behind him quickly. The 15 K classic is still a great, a great opportunity for him. And Olivier, who is 31st again, I know he'd be disappointed with that. He was a long ways back, but he's a first year senior. The fact that he's at the Olympics, getting this experience, the future is bright for the world junior medalist of last year, two years ago, sorry. Um, well, last year, last season, I mean. Um, yeah, so, so the future is bright there, but a really, really disappointing day for the North Americans aside from Scott Patterson. And now I'm going to transition a little bit to start. We're not smacking you around yet, yet, Nat. I know you're, I know you're really like on pins and needles. <laughs> Just kidding. But, Bring it on. Let's but, go. But yeah, yeah, no, let's go. But before we do that, a lot of talk with Norway having a dark day. And I want people to realize that 
the Norwegian men took a huge risk even before all this COVID stuff and the disaster that was Sizer Elm and the stress and the travel changes, even before that. People that are real fans of this podcast <laughs> might recall that Jason and I had a discussion with a well-known exercise physiologist professor in, in Trondheim, Evan Sandbeck. And he said in that podcast that he was really worried for the men because the men were not doing the traditional, the, the Norwegian invented essentially traditional altitude preparation planning. They were not going to high altitude multiple times a year it, with three years to go before the championship. Instead, they were spending not three weeks, but they were spending shorter times at the race venue altitude. They went to Fort Romeo, which is 1800 meters. They spent time in Lavinia, which is 1800 meters. And Sambeck was like really questioning this and said like, this could be a real decider when the Olympics comes, because we know from experience that people that deliver top performances at these altitudes in the past have had multiple year plans and put in many, many days, not just the year of the Olympics or not just in the last 12 months before the Olympics, but for years and years coming into these championships. And those are the ones that usually deliver the results. And, and really, Teresa Johag yesterday, she did that. She's put in the work. She's done the altitude preparation for the last over Olympics a decade. Arm, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So this is something that she has been eyeing forever. She used all the breadth of the experience, the Norwegian altitude experience, and she looked great yesterday. Her technique was fantastic. She skied away from the field and she won her first individual gold with a lot of, lot of pressure and stress on her as well with COVID. And one of her biggest supporters, uh, a sponsor, a very, very well-known businessman here in Norway died the day before the, the women's pursuit unexpectedly. So she had a lot of stress on her and she was able to deliver. And I, I give, I mean, Teresa's, you know, Mara Birgen's the best women skier that ever lived. Well, Mara Birgen's the best skier that ever lived, period. And, and Teresa Johag is, is the second best and it's close. So, so, uh, so she, she was quote unquote expected to win, but I'm, I'm saying at altitude, it's not just expectations. You have to put in good, proper preparation. And the sad reality is the men, the Norwegian men have kind of tried to, to cram for the Olympics. Cause I know what people are thinking at home. It's like, yeah, but you said Holland has been at altitude for like five weeks before these Olympics and, and he should be great. It's like, he was fourth. It was a solid performance by, by, by Holland. Do you know what I mean? So, so that, that's a, that is a great performance by Holland. I, I thought he would have ca caught Niskin in there because Niskin looked so bad, but regardless, um, yep. but for the rest of them and for the whole program at large, it's too early to say they could sweep the podium in the 15 K they could win everything in the, in the 50 K as well. I know there's a lot of racing left, but if I was Nossum or some of those men, I, I would be really trying to put those dark thoughts behind me, asking myself, like, did we try and get too cute with our altitude preparation? Because the Russians who have taken the side of Therese Johug's side of things and done year after year after year of altitude preparations far, far in advance of the world champ of the Olympic games here. Um, they look like they're ready. And the Norwegian juggernaut had a really tough day today. And it was bodies that had a tough day. You know, Claybo's body was not there. Shooter's body was not there in the, in the classic side of things. Paul Goldberg was amazing, but he had like some dark kilometers in the skate side of that. I was so impressed that he came back for fifth. That's his lifetime best in a skiathlon. So it was a great performance for him. Yeah, but, we thought he was uh, done. 
I thought he was totally done. He looked totally shattered, but so did Evo Niskanen, right? Evo Niskanen looked shattered at 18K of that, of that 30K. Evo Niskanen looked like you might as well just like drag him off the course. And, and he found, I don't even know if I would say he found a second win, but he really gutted it out. And, and Paul Goldberg definitely gutted it out to be fifth. But the Norwegians don't have the preparation at altitude. This team, this men's team doesn't have the preparation at altitude like some of the teams in the past, like the Froda Estils or the Petter Nortugs. And, and of course, the Bjorn Dali and, and Thomas Allsgaard and Degard Olving uh, era. Um, they've, Nostum and his boys have decided to take, had decided to take a different path into these Olympics with their preparations. And we're going to see if that's going to pay off or not. And with one race down, it definitely has not paid off, but there's still lots of racing left to go. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I don't know that, you know, they're also dealing with like the aftermath of a kind of team and morale shattering, uh, totally draining uh, experience with the positive totally. COVID tests in their team, which, you know, not so the, the head coach was, you know, adamant. He was like, this is not an excuse. We prepared. We're here. We're, you know, we got we to gotta move forward. But, you know, I think I think you can't totally ignore that either but yeah i mean you, you know no. definitely was uh tough tough day for for norway and i feel like anytime there's an olympic race and there's not a norwegian medal it's effectively like a national tragedy and day of mourning which totally. always makes actually yeah. for a good storyline for us so anyway. yeah for sure for sure absolutely and and uh i'm not saying that they're that's why i keep repeating myself that they've been under immense stress with this covid situation at their training camp inside the realm it, it but don't forget that Teresa Yohag was under the exact same stress, you know, and she yep. delivered. So uh, yep. just saying, Johannes Klebo is one of the best years that ever lived. And he had a tough day today, like he did in the pursuit in Pyeongchang as well. He got dropped um, in the pursuit there and, and didn't factor whatsoever in that 30K either. So lots of racing still to go, but a tough day for the Norwegians. And now here we get to the, to the main event. I know you asked a, I'm going to, I'm just going to come out right out and say, I'm not going to dance around. I think you asked an insensitive question to our Olympic champion in the 30 K. And here's why I'm going to defend myself on this. The reason why I think it was a little, not just a little, I think it was insensitive to ask Polshinov about doping after his Olympic win is this. He, what is the athlete supposed to say in that situation? Like what's he, <laughs> what's he supposed to answer? You know, it's an impossible situation for him to be put in. And cross-country skiing isn't cycling. I feel like the grand champions in the Tour de France, they expect, they know, they've all seen that press conference of Lance Armstrong saying, I know you don't believe in miracles and I'm sorry for you. And then in the end, we see a crying Lance Armstrong on Oprah Winfrey saying he doped the whole time. So, so all pro cyclists are kind of expected and understand that their sport has such a dark history that they're going to have to stand in it and answer. Bolshinov has stood in the past and answered those questions. And today, like you said, nobody looked better technically than Alexander Bolshinov. We talked prior to this, this championship that the best thing that ever happened to Jesse Diggins and Alexander Bolshinov is that all the races in January got canceled <laughs> so they could catch their breath and, and come back. And Bolshinov, like I said, has prepared for these Olympics at this altitude for years and years and years, something that his only competitors the Norwegian team, the men's team have not done and everything clicked for Bolshinov today while his biggest competitors fell apart. And I think that's why we saw those gaps. And I know I'm going to get hate mail from Americans and Canadians to say that, but 
I thought it was a beautiful performance by Alexander Bolshinov at Spitzoff as well, of course. I mean, Olympic medals are, are huge, but, but Bolshinov especially, I feel bad for him that he has to stand in there and answer those questions. So, I mean, I know why you asked it uh, in some ways because, you know, Sochi, the Sochi affair was a disaster. And then if you just Google like how many Russians have been caught for doping at the international level in cross-country skiing, it's a lot. But what I do feel bad for a guy like Bolshinov, I must say, is that like when we witness Johannes Klebo in a 15K classic mass start in fair conditions, just ski away from the field like they're all a bunch of bums. He's he's elevated to a pedestal and be like, wow, look, see, he skis better than everyone. His technique's perfect. He's cornering amazingly. Wow, what it like goes down as like the best distance race in Johannes Klebo's career. And when Bolshinov has the same performance that Klebo did in the Tour de Ski earlier this year, he has to answer all these questions about doping. It, it must be tough for him. Thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I have a few. I mean, I guess I'll just take sort of the, the main one head on here, which is, you know, I think if I was operating sort of in a vacuum here, um, I may not have the confidence to ask that question. And, and I also you know, think it, it is important to understand and be clear about sort of the way that I phrased the question, which was not like, bro, are you doping? I said, you know, look, I think we have some people in the U.S. who look at your results and understand that there's a history with the Russian team and, uh, you know, that you absolutely smashed this race um, and you know you're not even competing under your own country's name anymore because it's been taken away taken away because your country has a history of cheating and you know if there are people in the U.S. who you know have those doubts this is what I said this is what I said at the press conference I said you know what would you want those folks to hear from you or to understand about your performance today um, because I think you know look the dude just won a gold medal. I don't feel bad for him at all. You know, like he's, no. he's going to be deified in Russia. And, you know, after he answers that one question, uh, you know, it's going to go away unless he tests positive. And so, you know, if you're, I, I don't really, like, clearly I have no insights into this matter whatsoever, but I know that, you know, if I'm hearing from a couple people who have the question, I'm sure there are other people out there who have the question. And I think, you know, he can take that as an opportunity to address it head on, to not address it. He, you know, he addressed it pretty emphatically. And he said, you know, this is basically, he said sort of, this is a garbage question and I hate that I have to answer it and I shouldn't have to answer it. And, you know, we're clean and come visit our training session. And, you know, I mean, I think, I think that was compelling to me. I think, you know, it was interesting hearing from, you know, I, I got a lot of questions like from media asking me as media questions, which is always sort of dangerous territory whole bunch of Russians being like, you know, or it's like, uh, do you hate Vladimir Putin? And, and are you a plant by the American government, et cetera, et cetera. And then the Norwegians were like, oh God, interesting. So, and now I'm getting like, you know, random Instagram messages of the middle finger, whatnot, which, which honestly is like fine. Uh, but if I don't wake up tomorrow, you know, check, uh, check the hotel room. Um, but I do, I, I guess what I, what I feel like is, um, I think it, one of the discussions I had was with a, a Swedish reporter who was talking about how, you know, those guys, the Russians get a lot of play actually in the Scandinavian press because, you know, they have a, a coach who's Western, Mark, Marcus Kramer, 
Um, and, you know, there's some level of sort of access and, and awareness and understanding and familiarity with what these guys are doing and, and that what these guys are doing is different from in the past and is not, uh, you know, something that, that, that feels like it's kind of behind the, the Iron Curtain. Um, you know, I actually, as much as I might pretend to be sort of an expert, like there are many, many people on the fast skier team and outside of the fast skier team that are like way more up to speed on cross-country skiing than me. I'm kind of like just, you know, you're standing for like your average American dude that follows the sport, but like doesn't know the details. And so I actually think, you know, it kind of gives, well, Shuna, I have an opportunity to say kind of what he said, which was like, we're tested all the time. We report our whereabouts. Um, we're clean and proven to be clean and come visit our training sessions. And, you know, until and unless something else happens, I think it kind of puts the question to bed. I, it's interesting to me just how much of a kind of furor it seems to have like provoked like by you know his response was like very I think uh, fiery and I think made some headlines but then it just you know there were I think people were just very surprised that the question got asked whatsoever and you know I mean I, I hope I'm not tipping my hand here you know I asked you during the race what do you make of this and you know you seem pretty clear that that you know you felt like what we were seeing was the real deal but you you also kind of made a, an indication at one point that you know it was a pretty dominating performance that i heard from a couple other folks like including a friend who used to coach at the elite level that you know it felt like a legit question and so you know i don't know i like yeah I, I get it and i understand that it's you know it's not what you want to answer and it's not what you want to have to answer at this point but i also just feel like I, you know, I'm not doing my job if I ignore that completely. And, and you know, and, and I feel like in other cases, I, I have less confidence in asking that question, but I just feel like in this case, it's totally merited and, you know, people can take issue with it if they want. And on the plus side, you know, it's like, I don't have to deal with, like, I'm, I'm here doing this reporting once every four years. I don't have to get access to this. <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. like, it's not like I'm pissing off the Alaska governor or the, or the state legislature. So, yeah, you know, yeah exactly. whatever. No, but that's true. And I'm, I'm glad you were able to, to explain yourself. And like, I, I do, and I, I know I'll get hate mail from Americans and Canadians that say, Devin, are you really that naive? Like I've, I've shared dinner tables with you when you've got ranted on performances that you've seen that were just like, this is outrageous. And I'm not going to name names, but I have seen races, not just by Russians, but by, by, by athletes where the dinner conversation was like, is this real life? Like, how is this possible kind of thing? But today with Bolshinov's performance today, I did not ask myself that question. I did not ask myself, like, is this real life? Like, I know he shattered everyone, but he was skiing so much better. He had the time in January to prepare perfectly for this race. He's the world champion, reigning world champion by skiing away from the likes of Claybo as well in last year's world championships in Oberstdorf in 2021. It played perfectly. Niskanen got away. He closed the gap to Niskanen. They worked well together. They worked really well together. They were sharing leads. It looked a little threatening by his own teammate going to undermine him with Spitzoff, which I was pulling my hair out going like, oh my God, Spitzoff, what are you doing? And in the end, it became a non-factor like we talked about. But, but with the Norwegians prep coming into the Olympics and with the Norwegians coming out so flat like they did with a Sweden that is not a factor whatsoever, even though Poroma's race was the best race of his career to date, which was awesome to see. The rest of the men's team is horrendous. Remember in, 20, in 2010, you had uh, Johan Olsen clicking into his skate skis in the skiathlon and skiing away from everybody. And that set the stage for 
for Helner's absolutely beautiful Olympic win there and having two guys in the podium as well. So they're not a factor. Germany's not a factor. Canada's not a factor. The U.S. isn't a factor. There's no one that's a factor. It's a two-horse race, and when one horse is lame, I'm not surprised Russia wins by like a factor of 10 because Bolshinov's better prepared. He skis better than you. He's and he's more ready on the day. And I'm 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 interested to see what the rest of the men's races will be coming down the stretch because uh yeah, from what I saw today, like when, when Alex was on, I'm like, yeah, I think Playbo can win the 15k classic. I was still uh thinking of that glow from from how he was skiing at the tour to ski, and now you know, he's going into the sprint with for sure a little bit of questions in the back of his mind, which he shouldn't, but he will be, of course, you don't, you don't lose by nine minutes without having questions. And then the 15 K classic, it's hard to say that Niskanen and Bolshinov aren't just going to walk away with this thing because no one skis classic in the world at altitude that we have seen this season or in the past few seasons like Bolshinov and Niskanen. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see what the rest of this championship will hold with the men's and, uh, yeah. And like I said, and that's why I know that uh, Americans will be pissed at me, but um, no, I think what I saw with Bolshinov today was, was the real deal. I really do. And yeah, uh, all, all the well, power what? to him. He's a great champion and he's he, right now. And, and he's had some questionable tactical or he's, he's done some questionable things on the ski tracks in the past, but he was a young athlete and right now he did everything right. And is there's no more deserving guy to win that race than, than how he was able to throw down today. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah, totally. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll volunteer two other things and then um, maybe we can wrap it up so I can go to bed. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Move on. The, the, the two things are, you know, I asked a bunch of athletes and coaches about this and, and, you know, um, most of the athletes said, you know, don't really want to cast any judgment on Bushinov or way into that whatsoever. Um, Matt Whitcomb, head coach of the USC team, you know, who's been, pretty outspoken and involved in the kind of clean sport realm. Um, you know, he, he kind of said affirmative, he said affirmatively and, and somewhat emphatically, you know, he didn't say, I don't want to answer this question. He said, I think what we're seeing from Bolshinov today is, is a clean and, and real performance. And, you know, I think yeah. in fairness, definitely that. worth people understanding that I will also in my own defense add that, in 2014, uh, after the Russians swept the 50K, dropping Martin Young through Tunby, um, on the home stretch, uh, Justin Wadsworth, uh, your former coach, if I'm not mistaken, basically outright told me after that race, you know, that was bullshit. And, and so I went to the press conference and uh, in Russia, you know, filled with Russian journalists and, 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 Russian support staff and nationalistic folks. And I said, Hey, uh, Mr. Lykov, here's how a Canadian coach, you know, world cup veteran characterized your performance. How, what, what's, what's your response to this? And, uh, and he laughed at me like to my face. And, uh, and then uh, a little while later, you know, we all know what yeah, happened there. We saw the follow-up. Uh, that, no, exactly. That and, and you're a journalist and that's the thing. No, for sure. And it doesn't stand up. And, and so, so, and you're a journalist and I'm, yeah, you're, you're doing your journalistic uh, duty. And I think that's, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, sport doesn't matter anyway. Like we talked about, if you're interviewing the governor of, uh, of uh, states in the U S or, or, or any sort of leader in, in business or, or, or in medicine or in anything, uh, you know, sport, let's not, let's not lose sight of what this is. It's, it's skiing around in a, a uh, high desert plateau and seeing who gets to ski around there the fastest. So it really has no bearing 
whatsoever, really. But uh, they, these are two great points to put up. And I think that is great because I also was in Sochi getting the doors blown off me, seeing performances that were like, good Lord, especially like leg three of the relay in Sochi. Go watch that one again. Like, oh my God. Um, huh. Whereas, yeah. whereas, whereas this one, whereas this one in bullshit enough, I want to just go on the record and say like, he was, he was perfectly prepared. His only competition, the Norwegians were not, uh, and they had a horrible day and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, for sure. But the fact of the matter is like Nossum said himself, like excuses or there's no point having excuses. The race happens on the day that it happens and you show up or you don't, and they weren't able to show up. And uh, that's why it looked like it, what it, what it looked like today, at least in my perspective. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Fair enough. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, let's, uh, we can, we'll, we'll be back after uh, hopefully an exciting day of uh, sprint racing. Sprint racing. I'm, I'm really psyched. I'm really psyched for the sprint. Yeah. I'm really excited for the sprints. It's going to be awesome. Can Claybo bounce back? That's a big story on the, on the men's side. And then like Jesse Diggins, man, Jesse Diggins on the sprint. I loved what I saw on the skate side of that, uh, the skate side of that pursuit the other day. And um, she's hungry and you know, she's going to give everything. So it's going to be an exciting day for all of us to, to watch and cheer. And uh, we'll get some guests for that one. So should be fun. Yeah. Take care. Nat, and great. I hope, I hope you make it through the night without breathing in any sort of like mustard gas or whatever. So yeah, you luck. know who to blame <laughs> if it happens. We'll see. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.